Welcome to Just a Spoonful, the podcast that is young and fully sick. Everyone you hear speaking on this podcast is a young person living with chronic illness and or disability, including me, your host, Caitlin Plyley. Hello. Happy Leap Day. Or as I like to think of it, The Purge. Yeah, where anyone who wants to get married can and journalists are allowed to talk about what's happening on Nauru. Yeah. Heh heh heh, just kidding. That'll never happen. <sighs> Fucking government. I mean, I love them. Hooray, if they listen. Don't um, find out where I live. Um, <laughs> it doesn't normally get this political on this podcast, but Jesus Christ, it's been a bit of a rough one. <sighs> but this is a, a happy space. Well, at least it's not a um, hashtag Ozpol space. So um, please come in, feel safe, feel warm. Uh, welcome new listeners, new followers, new iTunes subscribers. Thank you to everyone who got in touch with me after hearing Just a Spoonful featured on ABC Brisbane's breakfast show with Spencer Housen. That was a lot of fun. Uh, or people who texted me uh, or tweeted me after seeing me in Frankie magazine. That was really cool. Frankie got wind of this podcast somehow um, and featured me in their issue that's out now. So like next to cool people like Nakia Louis from Black Comedy. Like, oh, um, thank you, Frankie. That was a huge compliment. Um, and thank you, everyone who's tuning in, whether you're here for the first time or you're here every episode. Uh, I love you. Thank you for tuning in to this uh, kind of experimental project of mine where I talk to other young people living with chronic illnesses and or disabilities and find out what they're li wh why they're why they're living, <laughs> how they're living and what they live for. And I'm excited to introduce you to my guest for this episode. She has done a lot of very interesting stuff already and is, is 25. So strap in for some FOMO. I've definitely got some. Her name is Leah Mush, and she is a sustainable fashion activist, founder of the Happy Cabin clothing store in Brisbane's West End, and host of web series The Unmaterial Girl. She also lives with obsessive compulsive disorder, or OCD. Leah has always been passionate about fashion, but the past year has seen her passion transform into something else, into a cause, after an epiphany she had while she was training overseas. And her OCD has played an interesting part in all of it to the point where I would go into a fast fashion store and I could like this is going to sound crazy but I could hear like the sounds and like the screams of the people that made the clothes. That was Leah there telling me about an experience that made her change her shopping habits and not in the way you might think. You'll hear more about that later in the episode. We recorded this on the day of Beyonce's performance of Formation at the Super Bowl, so you're going to hear some serious raw bay feels from me. But we start the conversation on a much, much more serious note, discussing a topic more divisive than Black Panther berets or sustainability or federal politics. <laughs> You'll see. Let's get into it with Leah Mush. Now join the choir, join
styles because oh I'm my missing gosh. something. And I, I feel terrible about it. He has like this, like, I don't know what it is. It's this just um, crazy sex appeal. Like, I just think he's really sexy and he looks like he would be also a really nice person. And he's funny. He just has like all the qualities of like a dream boyfriend to me. And long hair. And long hair. And it's getting longer and I don't mind it at all. And he like just, uh, you know, I like what he wears. I love his voice. I just, I absolutely adore him. I really do. Like I might be thinking of the wrong One Direction guy. Like, I mean, I, the thing is that ever since I saw Zayn. Right. I'm like. You're a Zayn girl. I I mean, when, when I went to the concert, there were like 19 year old girls. And the first thing they asked me, they were like, which girl are you? And I was like, I, I don't really understand. (laughs) Are you, are you a Zayn girl or are you a Harry girl? Are you a Nile girl? And I was like, oh, I get it. So we're categorized into. Yeah. There's only five types. There's five. There's five. Technically. Well, four now, now, but I mean, five originals. There's five types of girls in the world. Yeah. Yeah. So you're a Zayn girl. That's cool. It's fine. You like him. You like him a bit mysterious and he is beautiful. I actually, I read um, J.K. Rowling's first book after Harry Potter, you know, the um, the casual vacancy. Ah, right. And like one of the characters has an obsession with like an sort of unnamed fictionalized boy band member. (laughs) But from the description, like the (laughs) description was like, he is like very beautiful with eyes you could get lost in. I was like, oh, it's Zane. Yeah. See, I would be thinking Harry. Yeah. It just, it's all good. (laughs) Um... I, I, so you're a One Directioner. I am. I am. And I would say a complete original. Like I was, I was living in the UK when they first formed on the X Factor. And um, I was a fan from like the very start. I wanted them to win. They came third. Um, but that didn't hold them back. Who at won? All. I don't, I, I didn't. I think it. her name was Rebecca. I can't remember. Yeah, it's gone. No, one no, no, but you remember Suck One Direction, right? <laughs> so she went on to, you know, do some things, but One Direction just like catapulted into fame. Incredible. I it's know. Just, like what, when you were in England, was it the, like, did it feel like a phenomenon had just begun? A little bit. I mean, I think like there was just something about them and everybody, you know, kind of, I guess people didn't really take them that seriously at first because they were a boy band. And that kind of always hung around. But I don't know. I guess if, you know, if you were someone like me, you really wanted them to keep going and keep making music and because you just adored them. So, yeah, I had faith that they were going to keep going. Aww. Yeah, until now. But I'm everyone's like, are you upset that, you know, they're breaking up, all this kind of stuff? But honestly, as long as Harry Styles is still making music, I don't really care. <laughs> He's If he quit music, then I would be probably heartbroken. But... Yeah, That's, but he won't. He won't. No, I think he, he's going to be the Robbie Williams of the group. He's going to oh, keep. Okay. He's going to be the one that you know leaves and does amazing things. But like, what else could he do now? Because it's not like he could like um, I go think into he, banking. Well, I know that he's looking at having an acting career, so he's looking at doing acting. But also, a lot of the songs on the albums he actually wrote, and some of them are my favorite ones. Really <laughs> so, cool. That's really cool. yeah, I reckon he'll write an album. That's, awesome. That's what I'm hoping. Yeah, um, speaking of um, really great artists, we were talking before we turned on the mics about, like, basically I spent last night and this morning watching Beyonce's formation uh-huh. video. Me too. And, like, as soon as it finished, I'd be, like, hitting that, you know, replay button. Yeah. Like, replay, replay. Yeah. I did the exact same thing. I thought it was just beautiful and it came out of nowhere and it was so powerful and, um, 
I don't know. I expect nothing less from Beyonce, but she, still. She just keeps getting I know, I know. And she was amazing from the beginning. I know. Like, God, what's next? was so good. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, God. Wow. <laughs> oh, I, like, have actually wore myself out having so much so many emotions about yeah uh-huh. <laughs> like today I was like I was like oh no I've got to prepare for this <laughs> I'm so tired because I've been like you know like holding my breath watching the Super Bowl yeah. live stream it's just like oh she's my queen wow oh she God. does run the world yeah she runs the world she does I think like how you feel about like Harry Styles is kind of how I feel about Beyonce and also Taylor Swift mm-hmm. but like I love Taylor Swift, and then I saw, like, Beyonce, like, you know, dancing in that hallway with that yeah. red velvet, like, yeah. the puffy sleeves, and I was like, it's an entirely different animal. Like, it is, it is, for sure. Like, she, she's just, Beyonce is just so of the moment, like, mm-hmm. she is just so inserted into, like, I don't know what's happening in the US psyche right mm. now. Um, Taylor Swift, I always feel like comforted and safe with her music and like Beyonce challenges me mm-hmm. and she like makes me cry and I just oh so yeah when I saw her in concert um when she first came out it was just like being in the presence of something so great and so powerful and like I feel like she really speaks to women and yeah. that's to me what I'm just like yes and I think of all the people that don't have a voice um like how her music must impact them because I'm, you know, pretty lucky in my life and I still feel like she empowers me. And so yeah. other people, I just can't even imagine. Oh yeah. I can't even imagine what it would be like mm. to be like, um, you know, like a young, like Beyonce before she, before her career, like a young Beyonce now, like in Texas and mm. like seeing, but seeing Beyonce up on yeah. Screen. You, you know, I, I, or maybe it's a different world for them now because they grew up with Beyonce. Mm. Like maybe they, maybe they don't even question their magic. They're just like, yeah, I'm yeah. magic. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, like, oh, so she's cool. so great. Uh-huh. She's so great. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, anyway, it's okay. <laughs> I can talk about Beyonce all day, but we were going to talk about you. Oh. Um, <laughs> that's what we're here for. Because there's a lot to talk about. Um, and I wanted to start with um, Happy Cabin. Which yes, I absolutely adore, and Thank I have you. been in a couple times. Um, uh, your mum was working there one day. Oh and yes, and yep. she is just the loveliest. Person. She is. People really liked her as well. She would always help me out if I had to go and um, see a viewing of different collections to buy mm-hmm. things, or if I was ever sick. She was the person I called. That's really she'd, cool. she'd come in and help me out. Yeah, yeah. She was super cool, and like yeah. I was um, going around West End putting out flyers for the show I was doing at the at the time for my solo show, and. She was so nice. She was like, yeah, I'll put some flowers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I felt so bad because I, like, I looked at all the clothes and I was like, I want everything in here. And, yeah. Like, I was saving all my money to like produce the show. So gotcha. I was like, uh, I'll buy something. <laughs> <laughs> One day. <laughs> no, she's good. She's a people person. Yeah, no, that was really fun. So Happy Cabin, you started Happy Cabin, which, mm-hmm. oh, sorry, for anyone who's not familiar is, how would you describe it? Um, so the Happy Cabin is a men and women's clothing store in West End on Vulture Street, um, kind of near the Cupcake Parlor, if you're looking for it. Um, and I kind of set out to start a store that was affordable for people that were my age because I found a lot of the kind of boutiques were really expensive and I wanted to find a way that I could, um, you know, shop for cool things that weren't going to like 
blow my entire budget. Um, So that was the initial reason why I wanted to open the store. And I wanted to create a space that was really unique and felt, you know, interesting and looked like a cabin in the woods because that's just something I've always been obsessed with since I was a kid. And I can't find that in Brisbane because it's hot and (laughs) we're in Brisbane. But I mean, I've, I don't know, part of me always just wanted to go there. So I kind of built it for myself. Um, And I opened it in 2012. I was 21. Um, And I'd always worked in clothing stores and retail ever since I was like younger. And I'd gone, you know, up and up to bigger and bigger brands until eventually when I was living in England, I worked for H&M as a manager. Um, So that all of those things kind of taught me heaps of different things. And when I came back, I was like, you know, I was always saying I'd love to have my own store one day. And then I walked past an empty shop space and I was like, I don't know, it just was born in that moment. I remember it so clearly looking into that empty shop and just completely filling it. It just happened like that. Yeah. So then from then on, it was just like this fire. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't do anything. I was just my, I was completely absorbed by the task of opening this shop. And was the shop space that you saw the one that had no? In the first one that I looked at was like one point five million dollars rent a year. Oh it was God. in it was in the middle of Brisbane City, and I mean, like my idea started. It was I was like, it's going to be a shop, and then there were all these empty parts upstairs. I was like, and there'll be a restaurant, and there'll be you know, it was the most ambitious and ridiculous idea, and that was probably my first lesson in business is that you should, you should start small. And I mean, I learned that by constant rejection and having to um, come up with, you know, better and better plans. But I mean, if I had opened that shop, I would have been bankrupt within, you know, so quickly. So um, I started big and then, you know, refined it down, which is good. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about the aesthetic that you came up with for the Happy Cabin mm-hmm. because I read a description of it in 4000 that was, uh, it was something like your grandmother's cabin in the woods or like cabin on a mountain. And uh, my <laughs> my grandparents actually like my whole life lived <gasps> on a, in a cabin on the mountain. Oh man. Like it was like straight up like a, it was just shy of being an actual log cabin. Wow. But like um, deer would eat from their bird feeder wow. like, and stuff like that. Like uh, they had um, hummingbirds oh, come and feed on their deck and everything. That's my dream. Um, right yeah. It, it's like, it, it was just an amazing place to visit as a kid. And when I like, you know, I was like walking along the disgustingly hot Brisbane street in West end. And like, I saw the happy cabin and like, I was, obs- I'm obsessed with that aesthetic. Like I was just immediately like, I have to go in here. Yeah. I think I actually ran across the road <laughs> <laughs> because you've got like, um, like I, I think I've like I've read like a bunch of write ups about it online mm. that called it like lumber. They always use the yeah. lumberjack. Yeah, actually. but the thing is that you haven't like you've somehow managed to take this sort of like lumberjack feel, but like without the really like heavy masculinity thing. You've actually managed to make it like feminine as well. Yeah. Like I think well, people like miss the femininity thing with the lumberjack aesthetic sometimes. Mm. I think I blended that with ideas of. I always loved like the American summer camp movies as well. Oh, so like yes. the parent trap and yeah. like, you know, all of those kind of things. Dirty so yes, oh. exactly. Like all of that, I think, um, kind of appealed to me as well. So I would try and blend that in there as well. Oh, my God. and I, like, can I just say as someone who actually worked on an American summer camp and like, <gasps> grew up going to American, like, wow. in the woods, you nailed it. Oh, like, thank you. But it was also stylish. Like yeah. something that like, you don't necessarily like, 
if you actually go to a real summer mm. camp or a real cabin in the woods, you don't get like high couture. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was. It's just I love it so much. Thank and, you. Um, you sold the Happy Cabin. I did. At the beginning of 2015. Yes. So um, I ran it for three years, and during that time, I like it was amazing, and I loved it, and I met so many people, and I learned so much about myself and about business and fashion, and um, just like my own work ethic as well, because it was open six days a week, and I was there six days a week, and even though it was my job it's crazy because now been having been out of that I realize what a pleasure it was (laughs) and I really appreciate what it's like to have a job that doesn't feel like work um and so you know but that (laughs) that took selling it for me to realize yeah that it was a wonderful thing um but I sold it in yes early in 2015 to two friends of mine who are still currently um running the store and they really made it their own, which is awesome. And they also brought on board um, another West End local. So the three yeah. of them are running it now. That's so great. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And um, it's great to see that it's still open and that they've kind of put their own little flavor to it. And that's yeah. really cool. So I can still go and visit it and I get very nostalgic. Um, but yeah, that's really good. So you've worked quite a bit in fashion retail. Is it common mm. for a 21-year-old to run a... Uh, a fashion outlet is it an outlet no well sorry yeah. i'm using the wrong term yeah no, yeah or store like um no and that was probably one of the biggest things that set me back at the start was that everybody um would say that i was you know too young to borrow money i had to borrow yeah. 55 grand to well, start I mean, the store of course like because you're not like ivana trump <laughs> yeah yeah so um you know in terms of risk i seemed like a bit of a risky candidate for a loan but i got around that Um, and same with a, uh, shop space. So a lot of people didn't want to lend me or to, um, give me a lease because they just didn't trust me because I was 21 and what experience, you know, running a store did I have none. Um, and so, yeah, I just had to try and be really tenacious and find ways to convince people. And then by the, you know, after being knocked back five, six times, like the final time the shop that I got I went in there and I told him that he was going to lend it to me that I was going to get the lease and I just proactively went about it as if I already had it and then that confidence I think um he believed in me because I was now not questioning myself I had to get this store that's really great do you think that there is a um there's a perception that young people won't be coming in six days a week that they won't like that they'll slack off or not have maybe not have the commitment yeah, possibly. I mean, like a lot of people our age or, you know, in our generation change jobs so often that I think um, saying that you're going to commit to something long term can be kind of questionable. And I mean, I've done it myself. I've had so many different jobs. And this was the longest time I've ever stayed in one place before. Um, so I get it. But I mean, um, it shouldn't stop you trying. <laughs> There are always ways. You just got to get savvier and you have to be innovative and you have to find other ways to make people believe in you because at first they, you know, they probably won't. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like, um, I mean, I hate to be like, why did you do it? But like, why, like, why a store? Why, um, you know, like, what was there some, like, I noticed that like, you know, the sort of, there was like a focus on independent Mm. um, fashion designers and... Uh, an Etsy kind of uh, yeah. bit like was there some was, were you seeing like something missing in the market that you wanted to put there yes and also I think 
having a shop and being in a shop space, like there's something magical about it. And it's always been like that for me. Like I've always loved talking to people and you get to interact with so many people in, in the space of a day in a store. I love visual merchandising, making things look good. Um, I love like shopping and, you know, you know, picking, finding things that are on trend, doing the marketing, doing like photography. And so everything that I loved was all available and part of the work that I did at, at the store. So for me, it was just like a culmination of everything that I love to do. And I think that's why it worked so well is because I was just really like in my zone doing all the things that I love to do in that one place. So for me, I get that question a lot, but it seemed like a total no brainer for me. I was like, I love this. I need to do it. You know, what's the deepest way that I could do it? It would be doing it myself. That's amazing. Yeah. I guess my next question has to be, why did you say that? (laughs) Well, I mean, um, I guess that's another question I often get. I got to a point where I was quite restless and I had to some degree burnt myself out. I mean, I worked so hard and I was starting to get what I called cabin fever because I was, I was in the same place every single day. That was the only drawback is that I, the predictability became, um, kind of unenticing and I wanted to, you know, I wanted to do more and I felt like there was something missing. And, um, so that, you know, that it kind of just faded out a little bit. Um, and you know, that's where I got really curious and started to, you know, want to travel. And so I sold the store and then I had, um, I paid off any money that I owed and then I had a small profit. And then that profit I invested into myself, into, um, a volunteering trip to Brazil. So that was the next thing I did. Wow. Yeah. So you're not the kind of person who like just takes a year off and Bumps around. Like you're like, well, oh, okay, I'm going to sell my business and then I'm going to use that money to go to like train and yeah, I'm training as a yeah. social. I've got it written down. Yes, somewhere. social enterprise consultant. Thank you. Yes, social enterprise consultant. So, um, what happened is basically during that time of selling the store, I also um, got quite a bad injury on my left ankle. It more or less, let's just say, it broke. And so I had to have <laughs> surgery and I was in a wheelchair and on crutches and all these sorts of things. So I was very limited in what I could do every day. Um, and it's almost lucky I was selling the store at that time because I couldn't work. Oh, okay. Um, so the store, the decision to sell didn't come after the injury? No. Oh, okay. It was all kind of at the same time. Wow. Yeah. It was so a, obviously you, you yeah. were correct in your like analysis that you had burned out. Yeah. Yeah. I'd burnt. Yeah. Yeah. I exactly. It did. And it was, it was like a bad time. It was a shitty time and I was really miserable. And that kind of led me to online. Um, you know, I actually, it was a therapist who told me, um, she was like, have you ever considered volunteering? Have you ever considered just taking yourself away from, you know, all your problems and just looking outwards? And I, I had like, and I used to be so passionate as a child about, doing charity work and volunteering and I always loved it and I was always very like um like passionate about I don't know I feel like we're dropping the Aquarian card but I mean I'm an Aquarian and we're all like humanitarian and we want to you know change the world and do all these things so I used to you know really be like that and I'd lost sight of that a bit and so I started reading about this new emerging way of business where people were doing good and solving social 
and environmental issues through business. So that called to me because business was part of it, but also helping people was part of it. And so the idea of social enterprise um, was kind of introduced to me as I was on the couch with my foot in a cast reading Richard Branson books and like looking at blogs. And so I was like, that's it. I'm going to go to Brazil. I can't walk right now, but I'm going to go. And so I went to a physiotherapist and I mean, it was close. Like they were like, you shouldn't be doing this. Um, uh, But I was just determined, you know, to do it. And so I found this program called Social Starters and I highly recommend any, if anybody wants to have an adventure um, or learn about themselves, you don't even have to be an entrepreneur. Um, You don't have to have previous business experience. There were people that had worked in corporate jobs that were wanting like a sabbatico that, you know, had anyone can do it. Um, but yeah, I, well, yeah, I'll, I'll put a link to it. On the yeah. Website, yeah. Too. Please look yeah. into it. So social starters and they basically team people from all over the world with, uh, entrepreneurs in developing or disadvantaged countries. And so I could have picked between India, Sri Lanka and Rio and I picked Rio. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that really appealed to me. So I applied and I was chosen. I was the only one from Australia that got picked for this course. They only do, they only take about 12 people. Um, there were people from America, England, uh, Italy, Spain, everywhere. So it was like the most interesting mix of people that I've ever met. And, you know, they spoke like all these languages and it was just awesome. Like I learned a lot about the world from them. And like Brazil itself has already has like a huge mix of people. It must Definitely. Was there any culture shock? Was it overwhelming? Yes. Yes. And when I, I mean, I went to you know efforts to try and learn brazilian portuguese having never learned brazilian portuguese before so i know oh god not not at my one but i mean (laughs) um that was exciting because um i was learning a new language and meeting people through that and i went to uq and just did a beginner's brazilian portuguese course and that got me over the line you know i could interact day to day and i used duolingo the app that was awesome And then, but yeah, I was very afraid because a lot of people were like, you realize it's one of the most dangerous countries in the world. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of violence, um, especially cause I was volunteering in the favelas. So I was in kind of the heart of where there's a lot of issues at the moment, especially leading up to the Olympics. Um, Oh, this was before the Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, oh. yeah. So that's still to come. I think that's happening. Oh, that yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I don't follow sports. it's okay. <laughs> me, me either. And I was hoping now that I'd mentioned the Olympics that we, you wouldn't ask me any questions because I know basically nothing other than to ask questions about I, it. It's yeah. Fine. Okay. All right. Let's get an expert in at some point. Cause, but I know that, you know, um, I believe it's this year and that the city is preparing for that and there are all sorts of issues that come along with that as well yeah um but yeah, i mean yeah. i remember i was in beijing um i think bef- like the year before the beijing olympics mm-hmm. and the locals were telling me that they'd been clean clearing out the homeless people there's uh, yeah there's some pretty scary stories yeah yeah there was there was you know i heard a lot of things like that but um yeah, a lot of people were telling me these horror stories. So when I arrived and I got off the plane and I'd been flying for like 24 hours and um, I realized that I was on the other side of the world with very minimal language skills and I was petrified. I was absolutely horrified. I was so scared. Um, and I got to my hostel and I didn't know if I could drink the tap water and I didn't know how to ask 
for water. I didn't want to be rude. So I was literally, I'm like, I got two days and then I'm going to die of thirst because I can't leave the hostel. I don't know where I to go. And I called my fiance and I was like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. I need to come home. Why did you let me do this? What, what, like, why, where am I? What is going on? How could you let this happen? I know. I was like, how could you have encouraged this? What is easily like the craziest idea I've ever had. Um, but it turned out to be the best thing ever, which, awesome. you know, sometimes is the way it goes. Yeah. Mm. And you met a woman in the favelas. I uh, did. Who was a fashion designer. Yes. So I was teamed with, we were all teamed with um, people that we were going to help them with their businesses. So my person, her name was Maria Chantal. She was 20 years old and uh, she had started her own t-shirt brand um, and she was making her own uh, hand dyed hand scarves, head scarves, sorry. Um, and yeah, so she had this amazing, she had just the best style and the most beautiful spirit. Um, but she didn't have a lot of basic business skills, which I kind of brought to the table. So, um, we would work together over six weeks to try and find ways to grow her business and meet these goals that she had set. Mm. And through that, that's the adventure, you know, we did photo shoots in like the famous Parquet Lage where the Snoop Dogg filmed a music video there. Like it was just crazy. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I think it was the beautiful music video with Pharrell Williams. So that's where we were. Um, and like I learned a lot about the issues that she faces and even though we had this language barrier we just could connect in this crazy female like friendship respect way and I mean we were total opposites in so many ways and we would get stared at walking down the street because I you know like am super white (laughs) and very fair-skinned and she had this beautiful beautiful dark skin and we looked like a really interesting pair. Like you wouldn't, you didn't see other people like us walking around Brazil, really. Really? Yeah. Even there was in Rio. in Rio. I mean, there were times we'd have meetings, and she would try and get a taxi and couldn't get picked up, and I would get picked up in a second. Like I'm really genuinely it, surprised. It was that. it was Maybe shocking. That's mine, yeah, and I mean, a lot of a lot of the fashion that she made, she screen printed these T-shirts that would say like "Hard is your racism," or like she, you know, we would go to coffee shops and she would like visibly be uncomfortable and she would say to me like I never come to this area because I don't feel welcome and that was really the case like a lot of the time for people you know like her and people in her community and that was another thing like favela means slum but what they call it is a community which is a community which is really what it is because these people really band together and make the most of where they are and they have the best ideas and they have these beautiful community vegetable gardens and it's not what you think it's not like gangs and you know there are parts of it there is violence but there is also so much good and it's not shown in the media right yeah well i would like to talk more oh god that's a whole nother podcast (laughs) sorry i would love i would love to to get on because something uh uh, a really cool project out of your time yes in the favelas but and i want to get to that but first i would like to just jump back mm. quickly and talk about the uh ankle injury yes that you had and you've talked a little bit about you did a story at yarn storytelling here in brisbane uh for hunter and hunted and you talked about your experiences with ocd yes which you called your huntress yes which i really yeah. liked um but can you can you tell us like kind of what led to the ankle injury um, it was over-exercising. Yeah. So um, uh, a way that kind of OCD can manifest is often in 
obsessions, obviously, but um, mine is particularly for the past like few years has been around um, body image, mm-hmm. and you know. Yeah, sorry. When you said body image, you kind of like gave me this gesture. Like, <laughs> you know, I know. Well, I mean, like, is that is that? Yeah, I guess I get I I get a bit worried because so often people will be like, oh, everyone worries about that. Like, I don't worry about, you know, and then I think, yes, but um, the thing with OCD so often is, you know, people will say, I like to be clean or things like that. But when it's with OCD, it is to a point where it really inhibits your day to day functions and it affects a lot of your life choices. Mm -hmm. So this like need to be thin um, led me to exercise you know, to the point where if I didn't, I would find a way to exercise. It wasn't just like, I want to be healthy and exercise. It was like, I have to do this or I'm going to gain weight and lose all the compliments, you know, that I've been receiving. Mm, So it was, the stakes were really high. It was uh, initially out of like a dark um, need to be thin. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I mean, did people misunderstand and think that you were now anorexic? Like, because I'm Um, sure that like... uh, is it is it very demonstrably different to an eating disorder? Uh, no, I would say that like OCD and eating disorders can go hand in hand. Um, so this kind of it's almost just like a little tangent of OCD. So right. it kind of came out in the form of an eating disorder. Um, so, but I'm not sure it was. Eat, I guess they call it orthorexia, where you are very. Um, it's like an obsession with the health of food things have to be clean things have to be organic things have to be prepared in a certain way they've got to be raw or vegan or you know so you can become very obsessed with that Mm. that teamed with needing to exercise a lot just um yeah I burnt myself out physically with that as well Mm. yeah I think I I mean um I've talked a little bit you've seen me go and talk about um, my relationship with food a little Mm. bit um because having chronic fatigue syndrome means I've had lots of um food sensitivities uh, and the first my first bout of it was so bad that I, I could only eat like two types of food yeah um, for about a year and I came out of that with like a lot of messed up um, attitudes towards food because mm. food had become the enemy like mm-hmm. food was the thing that made me sick and I know we had a good chat of, about it um, afterwards yeah and uh, you were saying that you were very interested in psychology yes I studied it I went on to study yes I did a course um with the institute for the psychology of eating and so you can I did not it exists it does (laughs) exist it is I believe uh I think an eight or nine month course and you do it online and you can become um an eating psychology coach where you can actually um then help people that are also struggling with different there's there's so much you know like there's a lot to eating. There's so yeah. much more than, you know, you think. And a lot of the reason why I studied it was because I wanted answers for myself, even more so than to coach other people. And I still don't really feel qualified to do it because I haven't completely solved my own issues. But they also say as part of the training that that's 100% normal. Yeah. <laughs> and you will never be, you know, you don't have to be perfect in order to help people. Oh, I highly doubt any of the psychologists I've yeah. seen are like perfect yeah mentally that's true. well people that's true that's true <laughs> in fact some of them I was like oh, <laughs> should you should be paying me <laughs> yeah oh that's really cool yeah it's really cool um do you think like what is because like your OCD hasn't just manifested as an obsession with health 
It's no. been a, a few different manifestations since childhood, hasn't it? Yeah. And I mean, one of the biggest ones for me was cleanliness and that is still an over, you know, a, a very current theme in my life at the mm-hmm. moment. Um, and with the shop, I mean, I became obsessive in ways of efficiency and getting things done. So in a way it actually really helped me because, um, it helped me, you know, know where everything is in the store. So the second something was out of place, I knew that someone's either trying it on or they've stolen it. So I have this crazy memory, um, which also meant that I could always remember the sizes and the products that people would buy. So when they came back, I could just like that know and ask them and even tailor you know what I would suggest that was in store because I knew what they'd gotten before it was just all in my head so it was a weird superpower um (laughs) that is only works with retail I think but um I used it you know so there were good parts to it but the cleanliness thing I still struggle with at the moment I've just moved into a share house um which was one of my biggest fears I mean I've never lasted in a share house longer than I think a month because I get self-conscious of people having to deal with my um, OCD. Right. Okay. Yeah. So is it is um, is there like because I know it's an anxiety disorder. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, does that add a like does that add a level to the anxiety if you're worried that, other, that you not only have a disorder but you're worried about other people witnessing you having yes, a disorder? Yes, witnessing it, having to um, play into it a lot of the time. You know. And my housemates are really, um, they really care about me because they're my friends. So they're always very understanding, but it almost um, saddens me when they say like, we, it's okay, we understand you have OCD. I'm like, yeah, but I don't want you to have to, you know, go by the rules of it too. <laughs> right. Yeah. So they kind of have to adapt to your behavior. Yeah. And that makes me feel guilty and embarrassed a lot wow. of the time. That yeah. It, it It does, yeah. but... Um, you know, these challenges are what makes it better. So if I can do this, um, then eventually it won't bother me as much in the future and then living in a share house won't be a problem. Whereas if I avoided it for my whole life, it would never be fixed. Yeah. So do you have? Do you feel like you have to um, confront some of your uh, is it fears? Yeah, Maybe yeah, or yeah. Triggers? Like, yeah, you, triggers like... Of, like Yeah, that's one of the biggest approaches for uh, treating OCD is basically you have to look the thing in the eye that scares you and walk straight towards it. And I mean, it's so, (laughs) it's like, so it's such a, you know, uncomfortable thing. And, but that is, I think what has made me very strong in my mind is to be able to constantly face your own fears. Like then you can do it in things that aren't OCD related, you know, but I mean, if I, for example, if I am really uncomfortable right now about people using my bathroom because that is like the sacred OCD place of cleanliness and it's like, (laughs) if I don't have that, where can I ever be clean? So if somebody else uses it, straight away I'm like, oh my God, like I have nowhere, how can I be clean? Like, what am I going to do? But if I was to let 10 people use it, you know, eventually it will be okay and then I'll be all right. But I mean, for those 10 people, I'll have to really suffer. And what is, like, how does the suffering manifest? Like, oh. I mean, like, you know, there's sort of like, if, if you know, if you have autism and you get triggered too much, you might have a, like what they call a meltdown. Yeah. Do you have, yeah. Do you have like the OCD version I of that? I do, definitely. It's like, it could be a panic attack. It could be anger. Um, I get really angry and just yeah it comes out in anger and I feel like a lot of the anger really is at myself but it might be directed towards other people um and crying 
just feeling you know not being able to think of anything else like Mm. we might be watching tv but i'll be sitting there thinking oh my god like they're in my bathroom Mm. (laughs) you know Mm. or thinking about all the things that make me uncomfortable So that's how it will kind of come out. I went to a Woodford Folk Festival. Wow. Yeah, and that is every year it's really hard. And this year it was particularly hard because I was volunteering, Mm -hmm. um, which meant that there wasn't much room for me to freak out because I had to be somewhere between 9 and 5 every day. Um, So that was really hard because when you're just a punter and you're paying for a ticket, you can freak out and drive back to Brisbane as many times as you want. It's fine. No one's like depending on you. But here I had a job to do. Um, And luckily the people that I was volunteering with were really understanding of that as well. But, you know, if it gets too hot, if it gets too rainy, there's tents, there's mud, there's like (laughs) the showers, like the showers are like a horror scene for me. I mean, having to do that, but I keep going because I don't want to miss out on the fun parts. That's that's amazing. And I can't imagine how much strength that takes. It's me, but also my friends and my partner, because like he's the one that there was one night where I was just so upset because of, just all all it was too many triggers at once it was the rain the heat the mud I was tired I wasn't going to get my eight hours sleep which is another thing that I you know am very particular about and he went with me and he came with me to the shower and he stood there and just met you know he just was there for me and like if I didn't have that it would be so much worse but I'm lucky yeah Mm. so I mean having I mean this goes without saying you would think but like having a social network that supports you is like crucial yeah because yes because a lot of like a lot of it is you know trying to find people that understand so Mm. that they know that you know if I'm freaking out or upset it's not necessarily at them it could be something really simple (laughs) something really trivial and um just having the space to do that no well depending on what frame of mind I'm in. Sometimes I can sit back and be like, man, this is so dumb. But, um, you know, it's still, the feelings are all there. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So, I mean, like, on this podcast, like, you know, it, we do talk, like, it's, it's a podcast about, like, you know, uh, everyone who comes on has got chronic illness and or disability. Like, um, in what way does, for you, does OCD, like, you know, it's, it's a chronic... I would say it's a, it's a chronic illness? Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's never going to go away. <laughs> right, okay. So that is definitely This chronic. is me for life, yeah. Would you consider it disabling? Um, yes. But it's, like, as much of a, a curse as it is, it can be a blessing. Like, I've heard of other people with OCD that say that even though it is such a struggle, they are in some ways grateful and mm. glad, you know, they that it is, in a way, it makes them who they are. Um so yes it is it's hard because you know when I was in Brazil I I decided to try another tactic because I was moving into a share house with eight people who I didn't know and one of the first things I did was I sat them down and I was like hi I'm I'm Leah it's nice to meet you and I showed them a short video about OCD and then (laughs) and so I was like look just so you know I'm going to be really honest I have this and I'm really worried about sharing a bathroom. I'm really worried about getting enough sleep. Um, This is really challenging for me to be here. But um, so I just, sometimes it's easier to just be out front and say it because sometimes if you're trying to hide your crazy, it makes it worse. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. God, I'm so much happier since I stopped pretending that I don't have CFS. Yeah, right? People don't know for years. Yeah. People, like, sometimes I talk about it now, and people who've known me for years are like, oh, did you just get this? And yeah. like, I've been, like, like, I Instagrammed a picture of myself in a wheelchair last year. Yeah. And, oh, my God, the number of people who got upset. Yeah. And I was like, I've been this sick for, like, six years. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you, like, you know, you go to the parties, and you try to hide mm-hmm. that you're dying inside. Mm. Mm. And you laugh, and then you like you know sneak out when no one's looking, mm. or drive back to Brisbane. I, yeah, I, yeah, like, exactly. When you, you mentioned that, I was like, I have so because I also have an anxiety. I also have generalized anxiety disorder. Yeah, I have me so too. many memories of like being on trips with people, like with, mm-hmm. uh, in WA, like down in Dunsborough or something, and just like leaving without telling anyone because I was having a panic attack and just mm-hmm. driving like the five hours back yeah. to Brisbane. Yeah, I know. I drove back. Oh, back to yeah, Perth, so. yeah, yeah. Well, not to, not to Brisbane. <laughs> it's a quick drive. It's <laughs> a bit extreme. Yeah. <laughs> I think in the time that I was at Woodford, I probably drove back to Brisbane or to somewhere, you know, just as far away, maybe five of the seven nights I drove back. <laughs> yeah, that was quite – I mean, like I listened to a lot of One Direction. There was some really good music <laughs> happening. But, I mean, I, dro- I was just like – destroyed by the end of it but so how did that like fit in with your need to get eight hours like we all need to get eight hours well I mean I yeah I would like I would it was hard it was real hard I was getting up super early and driving back and you know doing all these things just because I wanted to avoid sleeping in the tent wow Mm. so like I just I guess just for anyone listening who doesn't have OCD um because like people use it as shorthand for um like anything it's kind of the way people say they're depressed and they're really just sad yeah i use it for shorthand for like i like things to be clean yeah but like this is what it looks like it's actually like you're having to work three times as hard as everyone else just yeah. to be at a festival yeah de- <laughs> definitely and um yeah that's a good way of putting it i mean because often people will say like oh every you know everyone has ocd and to a point everybody Who's, does wait, i know i mean what? i like there are people i've heard it plenty of times and I think everyone has their own little versions of it, but I think when it's, you know, when you're living with it as I am, it's big and it's like constant and it's a daily, it's a daily thing. It's not just like, oh, check the locks three times. It's like, it's really big. Yeah. It's not like every now and again, I straighten the salt and pepper shake. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, like, it's yeah. like, it's, it's all day, every day. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Well, you mentioned Brazil, so I would like to, like, we'll, we'll jump back to Brazil. Sure. To the, the favelas. Am I yeah. saying it correctly? Uh, yeah, or fa- favela. 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 Oh, I'm so white. <laughs> so am I. <laughs> I probably haven't said it right either. <laughs> well, so you spent two months in Brazil. Yes. Uh, and you were uh, working with um, your, with Maria? Yep. Maria, yes. Maria, Maria Chantel. Um, and you came up with a business idea. Yes. Uh, can you can you tell me about that? Yes. So, um, I guess would you be referring to Social Pioneers Project? Yeah. Or? Well, you saw something that Maria was doing. Yes. So she was screen printing shirts combating racism. Exactly. And we were finding as we tested, we kind of run a little Facebook and Instagram competition because she had so many followers. Um, and we did this competition to find out a little bit about them. And one of the biggest things we found out is that people loved the message and what it was that she had to say more than just the product. So it was the message. It was the empowerment. It was her as a person that they loved. We also learned that they didn't have any money. <laughs> so as much as they loved like what she was about, they couldn't afford her T-shirts. So that 
was a challenge for me from a, a business perspective and so I kind of was in this cafe with her one day and I was thinking okay you know they love her message they don't have any money how do we do this and then I thought okay you know what do they already have they already have t-shirts they already own clothes they just want her message what if we just screen printed the message straight onto clothes that they already had and so I thought this was a great idea she loved it we had a bring your own t-shirt day uh, where people that were her fans, her customers, could bring their own T-shirts and have her stand there and screen print the designs onto them for a fifth of the price of a new T-shirt. Um, she made more money in that day than in a month previously. <laughs> so um, there I was suddenly like, oh, this is what, you know, sustainability is. Like, you don't have to make something new. You could do this with so many things. And then I, that just... That like little crack in what I had previously thought about fashion and business just led to this huge, like life changing, um, I don't know, epiphany about sustainable fashion and about um, business and how things could be done. And from that, it just led to more and more projects and research. And I watched uh, the documentary on Netflix called The True Cost. Oh, have you seen it? I've been putting off watching Oh it my god. I know that I'm going to have to stop buying clothes. And I, I think it. like please do you know do yourself like the the favor of watching it because it will change things for you but in also a very good way. Yeah. And I mean that watching that just like woke up something inside of me where I was like this is it. This is where I'm heading. Like you know sometimes when you find like like you're always looking for this kind of light in your life and when you find it and you can walk in that light it's like things just happen and so this for me I was like sustainable fashion business and social enterprise like this is it for me now I'm like it's like falling in love like um this is it for me so that led me to try this little project I saw a competition run by style magazine where they were giving away ten thousand dollars uh for a good like business idea or existing business and I pitched them the idea of the social enterprise project which was um, basically I wanted to use the model I did with Maria Chantal and I wanted to take um, you know thrown away t-shirts or things that were going into landfill screen print you know things on them and then also run a profitable business but invest part of the profits into other projects like Maria Chantal's Mm -hmm. so it was kind of a little bit messy of of an idea because it was quite complicated and um, I went through the motions of um, setting up like an MVP so a minimum viable product how could I test this idea so I made a website I screen printed t-shirts with the help of my friend Jason McLaren and my partner Jamie Ogden and so together the three of us worked on it we were finalists. We were in the top four for this $10,000 and we got so close, but we just missed out. And part of me was relieved because as I worked on the idea more and more, I realized that um, it had elements of what I want to do, but it wasn't the idea for me. So I kind of let it go as you have to with (laughs) so many creative things. If you're a writer, if you're, you know, you know, it's just part of the process. Um, But that led me to what I'm working on currently, which is the Unmaterial Girl, which is um, a web series about sustainable and ethical fashion. Uh, it's being produced by Real Feed in the Valley. So they're a production company. Um, and I kind of pitched them my idea. And one of the content producers there actually filmed his student film in the Happy Cabin. 
um, which is a crazy circle, but he contacted me just as I was um, trying to find a way to make this show on my own. I was going to just do it on my own. I was going to be, you know, a YouTuber. I was going to do it that way. And then he said, hey, I've got a um, fashion show that needs a new host. Like, are you interested? And I said, would you consider doing a different fashion show? Would you consider doing a sustainable fashion show? And so together we pitched the idea to the producers. They loved it and they said, all right, we're going to, you know, work with you and we'll produce an episode every two weeks. That's what I've been doing. Yeah. That's so cool. That's the story. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Well, um, I guess, like, I'm really interested in sustainability. And it's funny because, like, this I started this as a podcast about disability, essentially, and chronic Mm -hmm. illness. With, like, you know, specifically I wanted to talk about, like, invisible illnesses because you know it's it's a uh it's it's kind of its own thing sometimes but sustainability keeps coming up Mm. and that's so interesting to me Mm -hmm. and i think partially like i think sometimes it's because um having a chronic illness or having a disability makes everything more expensive yeah um and it means that you know you're trying to find ways to, to cut down on costs but i also think sometimes that um it makes you pare down your life to what's important to that light that you want to walk in like mm. we were just talking about um do do you feel that way do you feel like yeah sustainability is somehow like if you if you're say if you're like interested in social justice if you're a feminist if you're you know interested in in um, um equal rights for people with chronic illnesses and disabilities like mm. do you just think sustainability goes hand in hand with that Yeah, I mean, I think it should be factored into everything that we do, no matter what it is. Um, Finding the most sustainable way to do it is always beneficial for so many reasons. Like, it should just be up there with anything that you ever want to start or continue. I just think it's... And it's just good business, isn't it? Yeah. We want businesses to be self-sustainable. Exactly. And I mean, especially when it comes to environmentally sustainable as well, I think that's really important. But um, it also kind of ensures, hopefully, the longevity of whatever it is that you're working on. Um, Yeah. There was another train of thought, but it just left me. (laughs) It's completely gone. (laughs) I'm honestly, now all I can think about is how... Uh, after we finish this, I'm going to have to watch that documentary. You have to. I'm dreading it, Leah. Oh my gosh, you will be like, I hate you, but thank you. <laughs> this is like when I had a housemate years ago make me watch Food Inc. Oh yeah. And it was one of those things where I was like, I hate you for making yeah. me do this, but I'm really glad I watched yeah, it. Yeah, it is. And it's it's just like, when I watched that, it was another thing that kind of kicked me into gear and I went on and I sold about 80% of everything I owned. What? So I had um, a, a like you know I looked at my apartment and I was like holy smokes how did I not see all this stuff before and then I realized I was the most materialistic person I was just living in such you know with the happy cabin for all the good things it was it was also a place where I could shop as my job like I that was (laughs) like what I'd created I mean and it was just I was totally a cog in that whole wheel and I um just looked around at everything and I thought like none of it I feel so heavy and claustrophobic and it took me months but I and still now I'm doing it selling all these things and now if I buy something or if I'm given something like for my birthday I didn't want any presents my friend my good friend Erin um she Um, bought me Erin who uh Design for logo. Yes. Podcast. Uh-huh. Check out I'll I'll link to her Instagram. Amazing. She bought me a packet of pegs because I will use them and I don't need anything else. And pegs go missing and they get broken. And I was like, you get me. (laughs) 
like this is great give me something i can use you know like really what an awesome present i've you know that that was just brilliant and so now like anything that i'm taking into my house i really consider mm. really consider otherwise I, I i'm grateful but i don't want it yeah because like you know she who travels lightest travels furthest and that's so true if you are just full of things and you know everything that you own is another thing that ties you so the less you have like that to me like the you know realizing what minimalism is was like another big thing for me so it's like everything you own is another thing to be anxious about almost potentially it's another thing like to worry about and especially if you're you know if your time if you don't like your job and your time is the thing that gets you money and your money is being spent on things then basically your things become your time and then if you waste those things you're wasting your time as well so then that for me i was like i don't want just an accumulation of things i want experiences instead so i'm still working on that every day yeah how do you um how do you sort of fit a love of fashion into that kind of world like because mm-hmm. fashion and my, maybe maybe my idea of fashion is um like I always think of like Meryl Streep and Devil Wears Prada going you don't understand what fashion is yeah and like and I think I think I am that Anne Hathaway character sometimes just thinking that fashion is just throwing a new thing on people every three months right like, on well models. but like what how do you how do you combine those two ideas what a great question that is the ultimate question and I that is the thing that I'm trying to answer actively and I think for me, like what I've learned is fashion says, can say so much about who you are. It's the skin that you choose to wear. That's not my saying, but I can't remember who it was that said it. It's in the true cost. But, um, watch the true, true cost. Watch the true cost. Um, but I mean, like, for example, I've been, I went five and a half months without buying anything new. So I only was buying things from thrift stores. And for me, that was amazing because suddenly everything that I wore was like, um, a story and it like I was representing through what I wore what I believe and what I think and you can do that still and it's still a great way to do that you don't you know it's set everything reads it says a lot so um, you can still be part of the whole thing you can still be stylish and um, have great like fashion integrity but in a way it can even say even more especially if you're putting in thought into where it is that you buy your clothes mm-hmm. and how you you know, I, I worked out, this is, I'm going to do an episode about this, I think called fashion maths, but I worked out that the money that you lose buying a new piece of clothing, say you buy it for a hundred dollars and then you sell it, you know, oftentimes for $20, if you're at a market or you're on eBay or whatever, oftentimes you lose so much. Um, the depreciation in the thing that you bought new is massive. Um, if you were to buy things just from op shops and redonate them, you still wouldn't lose as much money as buying things new. So you could have a constantly changing wardrobe um, where you buy new things if you wanted every week and then redonate them back and it would still cost you less than buying new clothes. So that's what I'm playing with at the moment is like, how can I stick to a small amount of clothes when I bring something in if I like it and you know have fun with it and then if it wears off, you put it back out there it was six bucks you know you're not going to cry about it it's fine like so that's what I'm like that idea is what I'm playing with right now 
Actually, now that you mention it, like my favorite shorts I got from the thrift shop up the road for like five bucks. And cool. from witchery. Yeah. And I love them. Right? And when I get tired of them, I'll buy some new shorts. Yeah. From the thrift shop. Yeah. I mean, you can just like kind of cycle it around. And it's not, it's not the, that's not the solution, but I mean, it is just a better way mm-hmm. potentially than buying things from fast fashion stores. It reminds me of, um, what the hobbits do when they give gifts they just give something from their house yeah and then like so like everyone's like had this one armchair because it's just been like circling the neighborhood yeah cool and like it wouldn't be an episode of just a spoonful if i didn't bring up lord of the rings someone didn't mention lord of the rings (laughs) and here it is but i always think about hobbits and i'm always like trying to live as close to a hobbit life as possible right including um elevenses because that's a great (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome yeah wow so it sounds like you're really um, on fire to take over the world kind of thing, you know? I just, like, I mean, it's not without its struggles. Um, this is just, yeah, I think I'm just always trying to find ways to move forward and to learn and to keep, like, just developing in what it is that I love. And from working for myself for those three years, I now am tainted to ever work potentially for someone else. And, I mean, <laughs> I've had stints of it. I haven't lasted more than three weeks in another job since I sold my store um uh, unless I'm doing it for myself and I think that's just like that's okay like that's just how things work for me and um yeah so I'm gonna you know I've learned that now so I'm just gonna keep on going with that um but I've also applied for a scholarship for uh to study branded fashion at Billy Blue and I find out on the 29th of February if I've got it or not but um I'm really putting it out there that I'm going to get it (laughs) I'm really living like I've got it because I mean this would this would just be like if I got this it would change everything for me wow Mm. well I hope you get it me too I I mean I usually put this podcast out at the end of the month so maybe we'll hear before that would be yeah I'll let you know I'll try and try and do an update if we find out yeah Yeah. because if I won that it's an $80,000 prize so it's not only the the scholarship but also the chance to intern with a business of your choice and also to do a semester abroad I think so there's travel involved there's a lot there so if I could do that if I could have those resources like that's where I'm lacking now is like I need to learn some more skills so that's why I've looked to that Wow. Mm. Um, I guess, like, speaking of businesses that you admire, are there any um, sustainable clothing businesses, like, already out there that you sort of take as your um, inspiration? Yeah, I mean, I'm really inspired by Patagonia and the work that they do and their approaches and how they treat their customers and how they consider the lifespan of everything that they make. Mm. Um, I think it's really inspiring. I just... Yeah, that that really inspires me. They're very conscious. There's also People Tree from London and the way that um, they go about sourcing the clothes that they make I think is beautiful. And so that is really important. And, you know, in my head, like the next thing I'm thinking now is my next thing would be to start my own label. Um, So that's like the thing that's driving me. And so when I look to those, I, I see examples of what I would like to do. But... I'm not sure. I've got, you know, again, my ideas are very ambitious, so yeah. who knows what they'll end up being. It's okay, Lee, 25. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you've got, you've got so, like, I, I don't want to sound like, like I'm ancient, but there's so much time. But, oh. like, but at the same time, it's so good to live as if, like, this is your only moment, I think. I, yeah, I always am so conscious of, like, the clock. It's always, yeah. I think that's another OCD thing, is, yeah. like, um, very, a, a huge awareness of time. 
Well, I actually wanted to ask, but I don't know if it's impertinent, but like, I was going to ask, do you ever worry about watching a documentary like The True Cost or Food Inc? Um, that that's going to become your next obsession? Like, you know, like, I find that when I watch something like that, like, um, you know, I watched um, Blackfish and I was upset mm-hmm. for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. Like, and I do worry that I'm going to, sometimes I go on these, like, you know, which is good, like, eventually, like, you know, I'll read something that'll make me not want to use plastic bags anymore. Yeah. That's an obvious one. Everyone yeah. knows you shouldn't use plastic <laughs> bags, but you know, like that kind of thing. And then, um, I'll go on a bit of like a sustainability like thing for like three months and yeah. then I'll sort of, it'll wear off. But like, do you worry about it becoming an obsession? Yes. And, um, it's, that's the thing about OCD is sometimes it will creep so quietly into the things that you're passionate about that you don't even realize that it's taken it over. And so it's not until you step back and you go, oh, oh no, oh no, it's in this as well. And I mean, that happened with the not buying anything new thing, like to the point where I would go into a fast fashion store and I could like, this is going to sound crazy, but I could hear like the sounds and like the screams of the people that made the clothes. Like it was very visceral and I would feel really overwhelmed and I would look at things and I would imagine like people's like I just it was this crazy like um very like imaginative idea it's like I'd taken what I'd seen and then it would just like really spoke to me um to the point where if I had like then I was like am I not buying anything because I care or is it because I feel like if I do that I'll feel really guilty more guilty than more guilty than just normal guilt OCD guilt is different um so that's why it was five and a half months because I was in H&M kind of researching seeing how I would feel and I found a dress and I didn't buy it just because it was beautiful um but part of me bought it because I was like I need to do this so that I don't let it be a thing an OCD thing so I bought it even and that's what this next episode that I'm about to do is about, and it's about um, how do you mitigate the guilt <laughs> or you know the feelings when you and offset whatever it is that you have done by purchasing and supporting a fast fashion store. Do you donate the same amount to a charity? Do you like how how do you do it? And that's like the question that I'm asking now is yeah I, I'm you know what I'd say is like a sustainable fashion activist and I bought from a store that I know is not doing enough for sustainability and like how do you handle that um that's that's the question I'm asking at the moment I'm not saying I have the answer either no (laughs) that's the hard bit it's a really good it's a really good and difficult question yeah but I mean I bought that part of me was because I thought and I mean even when I bought it I was I was thinking I'm go I've got to take it back I've got to take it back you know do you ever wear it i haven't worn it yet but i mean it's the most ridiculously amazing dress it's completely sequined it's heavy it's like this work of art and it was on sale for 20 dollars, and that just blows my mind because i think like the hours and the money and the time and like so much went into that one thing that and it really is like a work of art to me i look at it and i'm just like overwhelmed by it so I want to honor it somehow. I want like, that's also why I bought it is because I want that to just not be another dress. Like maybe it could be something really powerful. Mm. Part of me was thinking that, um, I would do some kind of show where I, you know, I have the dress and then I tried to find every person that went into making it. And as a way of showing how 
complicated and huge the supply chain of fast fashion is but who knows maybe that yeah let me work on that for a bit yeah but yeah. i like the idea of um really honoring the pieces that you do yeah buy yeah yeah and, exactly and they, like fashion is art so that's where i i struggle a lot because um uh i feel like you know the way I dress is part of expressing myself mm -hmm. um, and I want to honor that and I want to express myself because I feel and also like I don't want to spend too much money because being disabled is expensive mm -hmm. uh, and you don't I don't have a lot of money um, so I, I'll, I'll catch myself justifying being like I deserve this I deserve mm -hmm. this but then like you I you know I, I, I think about all the, the the what went into making it and like the you know conditions in those factories overseas yeah. and and then I, I, I just don't know what to feel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it, it, I think that's okay. Like, the fact that we're talking about it and we're bringing awareness to it and, like, I just want there to be more of a conversation because mm. a lot of the time I'm figuring this out along with the people that are watching the show um, and the episodes are kind of inspired by me trying to figure it out, trying to ask questions myself and find things out myself and experiment. Mm. Um, but it's happening it's called the slow fashion movement yeah and yeah. it's wonderful and yeah. it's great because even the people that are your competition in business are st you're still fighting for the same cause so that's, that's really cool. yeah it yeah. is it's awesome yeah I, I i think that like well maybe do you think that if um like if that we could have more of a conversation a public conversation about it if there was sort of um less emphasis put on being a perfectly sustainable person like I think there's always like I think people resist um, thinking about sustainability because there's this idea that like you know uh, if you're going to think about um, uh, if you're going to think about the way that mm -hmm. the agricultural industry works then you're going to have to become vegan mm -hmm. um, and if you're going to think about sustainable fashion you're going to have to only buy thrift shop clothes exactly. yeah. but like maybe it's like just do everything 80% you know, yeah. like, like that's what my psych is always saying. Like my psych and my physio are like, just as part of my CFS, like management is like, yeah. just do everything 80% because I am a 120% person. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Me too. I started this podcast <laughs> in the middle of doing a two week season of my solo show that I was performing, producing wow. and doing media for, and that's all with a disability. And wow. it's like, I am someone who needs to calm the fuck down. Uh -huh. Like, but, and I think that, like, I can relate a lot to some of the feelings of, like, living with OCD because mm. it's always just, like, I need to, like, stop myself from overdoing it mm -hmm. in a way. Sorry, I, I hope that's okay for me. Yeah, to no, I, I totally agree. Things, no, no, I totally agree. That over-exercising thing is, like, an experience I've had. My ankle didn't break, thank goodness. Yeah. I don't have enough energy to actually break my ankle. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there are some benefits. It's power to yoga. It was power yoga that did it of all the things. Really? It, it was, was yoga. It was crow pose. I was going up onto my toes. And Holy just like, shit. It was, yeah. All the things that are good for you are bad for you. Crow apparently. pose kills people. It does. <laughs> Beware. Yeah. That's amazing. I really, I'm so happy to end on that. Thing. <laughs> yeah. The bombshell that it was actually yoga. I know. Of all, of all the boot camp and the running <laughs> and all the things, it was a relaxing yoga class that tipped me over the edge. The irony was not lost on me. Oh I was my like, God. oh man. Oh, that's amazing. Well, yeah. <laughs> 
Now I have a really good reason not to do yoga. Yeah. It's not just because I don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> it's dangerous. I'll also tell my physio, oh, I'm afraid for my life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Leah, well, yeah, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. Thank you for having me. Thanks. That I'm going to go to Netflix now and watch that. Yes, do it. All of you, do it. And then I'm going to be texting you after it's time. Tell yeah. how angry I am. Yeah, you. <laughs> I'm fine with that. Do it. <laughs> Thank you to Leah Mush for coming on the show. And if you'd like to keep up with her show, The Unmaterial Girl, I'll be posting the link to that and other stuff we talked about in the podcast in the show notes at our new website, shiny new website, justaspoonfulpodcast.com. No more Tumblr. Now you can go to the website and search through the podcast archives by keyword and find your favorite episodes. And if you go to the website, you can also see a beautiful portrait of Leah drawn and watercolored by Justice Spoonful's favorite artist, Erin Michelle. And I'm going to put a link to her Instagram in there as well because it's beautiful. Artwork for the podcast, web hosting, and other things that keep Just a Spoonful going are paid for with the help of my wonderful patrons through Patreon. I'd especially like to thank Chris Woods, Katie Rowney, Tegan, Kristen Bushnell, Ellen Varwork, Sophie Benjamin, Lauren Pico, Jim Reynolds, Talia F.E., David Writing, Jessica Alice, Heidi, James Colley, Leifa Singleton-Norton, Jane Howard, oh, my voice is starting to crack, Catherine, David James Young, Kate Rohde, Ashley Warren, feel better soon, Ashley, Josh Donnellan, Scott Mercer, Cara Eva Schlegel, and Alexandra Neal. And if you also like the podcast and would like to keep it going, you can become a patron too. Uh, just check out patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash j-a-s podcast. You can get rewards, patron only updates, and weird pictures I draw of myself while I'm editing. Cool. Okay, that's it for this episode. Woo! The next one will be in a month at the end of March. If you'd like to keep in touch in the meantime, tweet me at JAS Podcast, leave a comment on the new website, justaspoonfulpodcast.com, or you could leave a review on iTunes. Hey, you could even leave me a five-star rating and subscribe. What? Until next time, I hope you find a little bit of something to get you through the day. It's leap day, a whole extra day. What are you going to do with it? <laughs>